weren't we? There was one guy, we used to have a part of our show called Flush or Float. We basically, it was a tune of the week. And uh, obviously, if it floated, it got away. Otherwise, it was flushed down the toilet. And it had the noise of a toilet being flushed as well. And we flushed everyone. Then we flushed Paul Oakenbold. We flushed Sasha. We were mercy, no mercy at all. But one particular guy, a, a guy drove all the way from Birmingham to have his show. He brought an acetate down to have it played on our show. We said, yeah, we'll play it on our show. And we slipped it into the flush or flow part of the show. And the poor fella drove all the way from Birmingham to have his track ridiculed on air. And we were ruthless, weren't we, Brad? It's funny. You know, he, he actually said, I didn't mind. I just wanted to be on the boat. And, and I remember when Stuart B come in and his friend, I can't remember his name, but he, he, he'd done a remix of uh, Katie and the Sunshine Band. Yeah. <laughs> was it Give It Was it Give It Up? What was it called? Yeah. And that went straight in the Kazi. It was called the, the Kazi. It was called the, sh- uh, the, uh, the segment of the show was called In the Kazi. And that was the take on Bullseye, which is an old TV show, which uh, used to have. We had a cult following, didn't we, Brian? We had a cult following with wait, 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 wait. Let's get a reenactment of what that would have been like. The guy, poor guy, brings his acetate. So you take the acetate, throw it yeah. on. Now give it to me. So you're playing. Oh, no. well, no. What do you think of that, Blocky? Oh, well, let's let's put it to the vote, shall we? And then and then everyone used to ring in, and we'd have the phone lines going. They go flush or float. They go flush it, flush. It. <laughs> <laughs> and then we'd be like, "Well, that's a load of rubbish, that one, wasn't it, Bran?" <laughs> in the Kazi. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it was more like a um, more like a, a sort of uh, like a take on Chris Evans, like a big breakfast on on, on Friday on Kiss. Yeah. And, uh, oh, it was just great. Again, you know, uh, we had loads of guests, and but I mean, you know, you, they, I never, I never, I never thought those things would happen. You know, uh, being on a national radio station and and being asked in the prime of our sort of madness. <laughs> <laughs> to do that. <laughs> right in the middle of the madness, man. God, that's hard work. Balance in both worlds. This all happened because you guys were playing in Ibiza and then Gordon Mack came to you, right? When you were over there and, and told yeah. you that. So were, yeah. you at, were you at Space at that time when it happened? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I was Space. I spanned him behind the bar at Space and <laughs> Gordon <laughs> leant over and said, uh, do you two want a radio show? And I went, yep. I didn't even ask him. I just did, yep. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, I'll ask on both our behalves. <laughs> <laughs> Don't worry about him. I'll, I'll, I'll vouch for him. I'm sure he, he'll join in. So we did. I mean, it ran for about five years, I think. And yeah. uh, We had a lot of success with that show. And uh, it was just it was just awesome when it ran. It was so much fun. Fantastic. So much fun. Such fun. <clears throat> so he involved in it. It helped us as well. You know, guests and everyone, they was all brilliant, weren't they? We used to do this thing like we get the find the most nervous guests on the day and just right last minute put the news and the travel in front of them and just go, right, do the news for us and leave the room and just watch them melt. Didn't we? Watch the people melt into the chair like that. Scared. <laughs> <laughs> of course, of course you would both do that. That's what you do. That's what we've done. <laughs> It's I'm like you guys, are, you guys are what I call on the dean's list, not for goodness, only for goodness. <laughs> but how did you two meet? I didn't hear that part. That's oh, the oh, ah, I've been waiting. It's a long that story. Part. That one, isn't it? Uh, right, we've seen each other out a few times, but um, I got invited to, to guest at a club called Hayden Stables. 
in Ealing. And uh, it was pretty much Brandon's territory. Uh, and I, I went there, and it, it was quite bizarre. I went on. I actually played after Groove Rider, didn't I? Groove Rider done an early set and left early, didn't he, Brandon, on that day? Yeah. And uh, I was playing after Groove Rider, because Groove Rider used to play house. Before the drum and bass, he's probably one of my favourite house DJs of the time, of the old old era. And uh, him and Fabio were just immense. They, I loved them. I went everywhere they went, sat behind them at Rage, uh, Clink Street, whatever, and just learned a lot of the trade. Uh, from those two, to be fair. And uh, he had the privilege of playing after him at Haven Stable. And uh, it was quite about the mixing at that point. It was kind of, people really switched on, you know. It was like the crowd had started to learn that mixing was a key thing and you tried to run your beats in time and run them for a while. And I'll just come on after fat, uh, Groove Rider. He killed it as always. Long mixes, brilliant stuff. So I thought, right, here I go. So I'm doing mine. I, I felt quite good. The crowd were going and everything. And I looked to my left to the doorway and there was this commotion. I thought it was a punch-up at first. So I started looking at the door and say, do I need to turn the music off if someone calls the punch-up? And then I see these record cases aloft. And I see these high-fiving, this, the local lad block out. So he's bowled in the DJ box, brass, bold as brass with his chest out, like looking me up and down. Like I'm in his territory now. So I thought, right, I'll do the last mix and then uh, we'll have a little chat. So I'm concentrating, put it in nice. And he's got his chest up, Charlie Big Potato. And he's looked at me to say, like, like, do one more, you know, while I get ready. So I've taken, it was the old nod, you know the old the nod, Lenny? Like, go on, do one more, son. So I went to put one more. And as I put the one, the, done the one more, he's emptied the, pretty much the better part of a uh, rap of Charlie onto the, onto the turntable that's playing. So now the, the, the record's playing. <laughs> and there's a line of gear on the turntable. Gear on there, huh? Oh, boy. <laughs> Going everywhere. And then the proceedings have passed me a straw. <laughs> so anyway, I had to take care of business and mix into the other record. So the other record's playing now, and uh, I, I stood back and go, oh, I've got to see what this fella's all about. Must be something special. And he's just standing there, both arms aloft, like looking around at everyone. I'm here, I'm here, I'm here. And the record's starting to, yeah, the record's starting to play out now, Lenny, and I'm thinking, God, he's only got like about 30 seconds left. He hasn't even got the other record out of the box by now. <laughs> So he's standing at the front of the DJ box now to make sure that everyone has known he's there now. And then he's gone, whook, 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 like the record's played out. So you've heard this guy like fumbling, scratching sound. He's got the other record out. I'm, I'm playing quite deep, housey stuff at the time. He went, yeah, he's, I can't remember, he shouted something like, let's have it. Put the record on, and it was. Now that we found love, what are we gonna do? And the whole place just erupted, man. It's <laughs> like more of old blockos here. Let's fucking have it. And it was just a, it's such a classic memory, and uh, a good way to meet when it ran. To be fair, check for a second. What's that? Love. Can I interject? I want to say something to everybody. Didn't you love when Alex said his territory? Sound like a mafia moment. Yeah. The Blocko family runs these clubs. Yeah, the blocks. Those clubs without the commission clearing it. <laughs> you always thought he was Al Pacino as well. The king is here. The king is here. It was a... Uh, I mean, you know what? Then, uh, and then we lost touch for about a year, and then yeah, uh, we were both wandering around in the 
in the dark for a year when I'm waiting after that. In the midst of it, in the midst of it. And then I, I'm going to let Alex, Alex tell you a story in a minute, which everyone wants to know about because I've seen it in this chat. But um, we, um, so, so I suppose it leads to, I had to, we got to talk about Ibiza, right? Because what happened then was about a year later, then me and my mate Baggy, God rest his soul, who was, uh, massive part of my life and you know i think about him all day long unfortunately he took his own life last year um so everyone out there don't forget to reach out if you ever feel that uh, you need to talk to anyone that's you've got to do that um so anyway we decided that we'd go to ibifa because it was the place and i actually been to ibifa the year previous with charlie chester and charlie was uh we were doing a reconnaissance mission to because charlie was planning on doing the first sort of ibifa um, you know, the trip, which was called the IB for 90, which was, you know, it's, it's been written about for years because he took the band's primal scheme and took Andy Weverall and Terry Farley and Rocky and Diesel and everyone else to DJ. I went out there with him to, to research the trip and he never, he never took me out there. So, Get your own flight. <laughs> <laughs> reconnaissance and go and spec out the land, but you never get to go. That's cool. Oh, no, but you know what? That's a Chester moment there. That's a Chester moment. If 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 it if it been any different, we wouldn't be here now, obviously, because it would have been our lives would have mapped out differently. But so we, uh, I went back in '91, and um, it turned out funny is this. So I, I, I get an apartment with my mate Baggy. And um, mm-hmm. Alex had heard I'm, I'm on the island. We hadn't seen each other for a year. And we had that great night, obviously, the first time we met. And then um, uh, and, and then uh, on my apartment block, the next balcony was Alex's best mate, Matt Jahar, right? Remember him? And, um, yeah. and then I lent over this the summer. Oh, really? Wicked. So he, he then over the balcony went, hey, Alex is looking for you. I went, oh, right, where is he? He went, we don't know. <laughs> anyway, so the next morning, I think it was the morning, I think it was the morning, I get a banging on the door, right? He's absolutely hammered. And um, he, he, he swears like he never calls everyone, every name under the sun, throws beer on me, and then walks out. And then proceeded to get taken in by the Guardians of Hill for the next eight hours of bash, bashing. And then... Um, <laughs> And then the next night, that evening, we went to the Cafe del Mar as, as usual. We started with DJ in there and everything. And then he turned up all bad and bruised. And, and then from then on, um, he'll tell you the story about who, who, how he started Space. But uh, he said to me, look, come to, come to Space in the morning and bring your records. And uh, let him tell you how, how it was started because, you know, he built that terrace with James Mitchell. And it was like, I walked into this place and I went, oh, my God, I've arrived. This is... This is what this is what it's about, and I went in. I took more five boxes. We had five. Oh, how many times we lost our records? God, we had um, five boxes of records, which used to get left all over the island, and um, we'd get phone calls from everywhere. And don't forget, we never had mobiles, did we? So you'd have to go to yes, they call that phone box at, at six o'clock, and we'd go and have a phone call with someone. <laughs> oh. It's not that phone box. It's the one round the corner. So <laughs> you need to go and get a call saying, uh, your record, we got your records. Uh, anyway, so we, um, I went and put my records. We lined them up. Be at, he had 
you know, five, six boxes, and I had five, six boxes, and it was right in the bar. So mm. all the bar, I've had to walk around our records. And and we played that day till about eight o'clock at night, and it, and and then we did it every every day or every Sunday. It was Sunday, but we were living together at the time then, and um, uh, it was. I mean, there's there's so story. So the first actually tell him on the back of that, on the back of that uh, visit to me in the morning. There's a story behind that, and it involves <laughs> it involves a mode of transport. A mode of transport. He'll tell you now about the mode of transport we used that night. <laughs> well, I, had to a mode. I needed a mode of transport. I, um, I went to Pasha and uh, I, I think I, I took some window panes that night, didn't I? <laughs> took a little bit of acid on the night before. And I was in Pasha partying and dancing away. And I, I wasn't really feeling it. So I thought, do you know what? I'll, I'll get myself off. And it's probably about. Six, seven in the morning, something like this. I went to get on my bike, and because my vision was so impaired, I kept jumping on the wrong bike, and I was getting a slap from like these, all, all these good-looking Italian boys outside going, get off me, Mopey, get off me, in, in Italian. So I'll give it up as a bad idea. I thought, I'm never going to find mine. They all look exactly the same. I'm buzzing far too much here. I just start walking down the road. So I'm walking down the road, and I walked to bar stop, and... Uh, Bar stop was the first stopping place for the buses, and it was also a cafe. Uh, I just sort of stopped outside bar stop and thought, should I get myself a beer or should I just carry on walking? And then out of nowhere, a bus pulled up next to me. The driver got out of the bus and, and went into the toilet, and I thought, this is manna from heaven. This is my bus. It was actually <laughs> sent from heaven for me. So I see you jump in the bus, and I drove it back to IB for town. <laughs> passengers With passengers on board <laughs> Wait, can, you imagine, can you imagine this right wait, and high and high oh and high. man can you, you imagine this, this right? you gotta touch the sky then you think about this right you get a bus at Pasha because don't forget just outside Pasha was the bus stop right back for people mm-hmm. just just normal people going about their business and it run all night that bus from San yeah. so the driver Obviously gone for a toilet, he, and then can you imagine him ringing the bell for the stop? And he's like the train game. <laughs> ding 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 ding. <laughs> Miss that one. Start dancing to it. <laughs> you made it to the bus garage though, didn't you? Yeah, I drove to. Um, it was very different back in those days. I got back to San Antonio, where all the fountains were, and that they were little pathways there, and I negotiated that, and I crashed into a, 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 a wall of a shop. Uh, jumped out of the bus, uh, decided I needed vodka. So I went into this supermarket, got some vodka to try and quell my nerves after the hairy ride. <laughs> and then I ran into Notwell Danielle. And Notwell Danielle went to me, uh, just seen your mate Blocko. I was like, oh, wicked, where is he? I'll take you up to him. He's looking for you, blah, blah, blah. So that's when I went and knocked on his door and uh, that part of the story came. It was a brief meeting. I was probably there half an hour. And then uh, got shot off the Derby up. Yes, we threw the beer on him. <laughs> yeah. And then, then the Guardian took me away for a little bit. And then when I came back, I've been looking for Brandon because uh, basically uh, space had grown so big and I was working there every day. It was uh, it was taking its toll on me a little bit. And um, there was only one person I thought that could fit the bill of doing the job with me that had the necessary credentials required to be in that environment at least 15 to 18 hours a day. <laughs> There's only one person with a track record that had enough endurance and substantiability to take on the task. So I had to go and find the block. 
Then, uh, the rest was history, man. <laughs> you know what? Right, after after one after because what space used to do about six in the evening, but maybe four or five, I don't know, wherever it was, they used to have to shut, right? Because of the licensing, they had to shut for a certain period of time. But they had these big shutters which used to come down over the bar. So I used to lay on the bar. <laughs> and the electric shutters used to come down and shut on my stomach like this. <laughs> and they so they couldn't shut, they had to lift it up again. We go, whoa, whoa one more. <laughs> I remember one, <laughs> one morning. One morning, I was so taken back with the ambiance and the and the, and the, <laughs> the sheer wonderfulness of the, the, the uh, space. I was started throwing my records out, sharing, <laughs> sharing the love, right? So I turned around about ten minutes later, and I'd given all my records away. <laughs> so I asked someone to give me one to play one more to get. So he handed me a record back. I played one more. <laughs> <laughs> That's quite commonplace, though, isn't it, Brian? That is it. Sharing. You can't We're make not... these stories up. That's the thing. You can't make these stories up. There's no way to make them up. No, no, oh, but space was space was tough. Leading up to that, I had uh, the first year it didn't do very well at all, and um, I set it up with James Mitchell. And after the first year, I ended up having to buy him out. And in the second year, it started really escalating quick. And then before I knew it, class DJing inside as well, techno inside. And I come out on house music outside. I was DJing 12, 15 hours a day, every day. And uh, also with the drinking, the socialising and, you know, getting around about and about, it all became a little bit too much. And uh, I think Brandon's arrival was uh, was God sent, to be honest with you, so he could share the burden. Okay, the burden of the distress of living through this. <laughs> Listen, you, you try going out seven days a week <laughs> a day. It's a burden. <laughs> yes. It's a burden. by lovely young women drinking, dancing, listening to that burden. Music. So I'd work. We used to sleep about two days a month. <laughs> it's not. You know what I mean? It's all great fun, but obviously, you know, you're not. You know, you don't realise what you're doing to yourself. I mean, it, oh god. Oh, we at that time we found. Loads of little places, right? So we remember Kenya Bar, right? So Kenya Bar used to be, used to be a, a, a minute little shack with a, a Spanish owner. And and it, it's with and sea, water, sea water pole, didn't it? Sea yeah, this water pole, which was literally built on the edge of on the edge of this rock down where the canyon is at the, around the bay, well, around the uh, the other side of San Anne. And literally, we'd walked out of a. Uh, uh, someone's house. We'd stayed in the night. We, had, we didn't have one peseta between us, and we um, we couldn't even talk because our mouths were so dry. So we, managed, <laughs> we managed to scrape together some fizzy water somewhere. Maybe water. <laughs> That's <laughs> where we met. Uh, Combeard, dress Combeard and Sinbeard. You can't say that. Anyway, <laughs> so um, we walked out Combeard. So we um. So we, uh, you know what con means? Obviously, con means with, right? So yeah. with beard or without beard. But, we met two uh, girls and one one was con beard and one was sin beard. <laughs> I, think it was, I think it was just like, uh, I think it's a drug to be. <laughs> we walked down this, uh, we walked down the path. I'm, and you remember, I'm really shocked you remember all this. And clearly. Yeah. They weren't good. Yeah, well, they just imprinted on your memory. But we walked to the uh, the end of this uh, the, the, the 
the path, basically. It was a path there. It was full of rocks. And we see this little, just this little shack. And we went in and, the, and, the, and the, it was, they opened all day, didn't they? So we, we spoke to the guy, and I can't remember his name, but... Um, oh, uh, Wankel. No, he weren't there yet. Crankle, he weren't there yet. I wasn't there yet. I thought it was something to do with Crankle, wasn't it? Uh, no, no, it was, it was like, it was, it was a proper, it was like Miguel or someone. And he, he said, yeah, come in, come in, drink beer, beer. So we, we said, oh, we like this place. And we saw the pool and we sat in the pool and we thought, oh, we could come here in the daytime. So we started going there in the daytime instead of wherever else we was mucking about. And then people started coming to Kenya and come and sit around the pool. And then the year later, obviously everyone, there was loads of people started coming to the pool because, we did drag a lot of people there, you know, Cafe Del Mar, and then um, they come, sorry, Canyon, they sat around the pool, and then the, the year after, our friend Crankle bought it, and then they turned the pool into a, a, a freshwater pool, and it heated, and the bar started expanding. Um, and it was great, just being there and watching that, the, the sort of the, the way that the, the, the bar's built, as well as, uh, the, you know, the island. And then, obviously, Mambo's opened, and... Um, we were firmly placed at the Cafe Del Mar and the Javier. Cause we was, we said, right. Oh, why don't we, why don't we just buy that gaff? We were going to buy Mambo before Javier bought it. Oh, yeah, we, yeah. Had, we had, we had, yeah, we had, uh, people looking into it to us during the winter months and, uh, Javier got a sniff of it and heard that we were looking to buy it and went in and gazumped it from underneath us. And he felt so guilty. That's why we had the run of the, uh, the roost at that place. Yeah. But Cause it would have been, been our farm. And to be fair, it's probably a good thing we didn't buy because I don't think we'd be here now, would we? No, no, I made a good move, a very good strategic move by Javier. And, um, <laughs> to he, he said to us, "Look, just come and you come and stay here. You can, you know, can have your run of the place, and just if you can you invite your friends." And so we did, and we started inviting everyone. And um, oh god, I remember one year we had uh, in '93 because. Because Cafe Del Mar was just obviously it's the Cafe Del Mar, which was the place to watch the sunset. And then Mambo's open, but we were still living above the Cafe Del Mar. We had the whole floor, right? <laughs> floor three. I won't tell you what one on them, but it was it was it was bedlam. It was it was actually madness. And we used to come down and then walk across to Mambo's, and, um, and it just evolved. And you know, people DJs coming in, and then we used to play the music, and it hang was on. just hang on. What happened in level three? Of oh, oh my God! Too many men. We know what happened with Javier, and we know what what, what, what goes on in level three stays on level stays three. Level three. <laughs> was it was it truly what I remember? The red light district. <laughs> oh, the lights were broken. <laughs> the thing was that we have to also remember Lenny. Back in those days, there, there was no mass of people. No, there was one bar, and that was Café Del Mar, and uh, it was very hedonistic, and it was only kind of like the place that the people, locals knew about it, obviously, but very few Brits knew about it, and it was very quiet, and it was uh, it was like a getaway from everything place. Do you remember the big float in the water as well, yeah. Brandon, outside the front of the building? We used to swim out to him and lie on that float, Chester and everybody. Do you remember? Nicky all the way. I tell you what, that, 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 that one of our uh, little... Um, idiosyncrasies let's say was to because each year right because we 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 like to have fun so each year there would be a lilo right so (laughs) this this year the best lilo was the cadillac pink blow-up cadillac with the drink we we used to drive around the island individually 
and try and find the best lilo, right? And then come back to our little place where we were staying and sit in our pool with our lilos. So <laughs> one year we saw someone with an island. We thought, oh, <laughs> do you remember? We find the island. So we searched the island for the island, the blow up <laughs> island. We found it. And we blew it up and anchored it outside Mambo's. And the way we <laughs> started from bringing us pina coladas through the sea, and we were sitting on the island, blow up island. But when you bought the pink Cadillac, it was brilliant, Brad. Do you remember the Cadillac? It must have been a um, good five metres long, this Cadillac, and it was a lilo. And you kind of sat in it like it was a car. <laughs> We'd be floating about outside Mambo in this big thing in the sea. <laughs> I wish there'd be pictures from that stuff. Forget about the club pictures. I wish oh, man. Be. I wish we had a picture. Oh, do you know what, though? I, did, I remember that. I did have, um, I used to have this camera which had never left my side. And, and, and we were saying, Alex, if, if they had uh, social media at the time, oh, my God. Because we, we were asked for MTV. We, we did the first festival in Ibiza, which was the MTV festival. We were, uh, we played on that. And then there was all the festivals, the actual, um, the festivals which the Italians used to do, which were the tribe. And you used to, you weren't invited unless you had the rock, uh, invite. And, um, that was the, in the quarries, it was so cool. And, there wasn't a lot of English people about back in the earlier days where I think we, I think we're quite responsible of uh, bringing out, uh, most of those masses. Uh, it, it was a lot of uh, Dutch, weren't there? Germans, uh, French were quite prominent over there as well. Yeah. And uh, there was only a few English out there, not, not as many as, you know, what we're used to now. And, uh, I think that me and Brandon had a different mentality when we went out there. A lot of people went out there and, uh, wanted to take something away from the island, whereas we went there because we thought we could add to the madness of the island. And I think we did quite a good job of it to me. Pal. I think you did. <laughs> I think, and I talk about this many times too. When I first went there, I was hired by Spanish. There was not many English at that time. No. Not at all. No, no not many at all. But I remember right outside Pasha, looking across at the water where El Divino was, it was all sand. There was yeah. nothing there. There was none yeah. of those luxury buildings. Nothing was around. No, nothing. nothing. It was. It wasn't. It was called something before El Divino's in because um, what was his name? Who? Oh God, our friend. What was his name? Who owned it? Um. Oh man, you remember him, Alex? Come on, man. What was, what was that? What was that, dude? Who owned El Divino's? What was his name? Khalid, 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 there was some money washing going on because he always had so many these these boat yachts coming in with these people from the Middle East, and I kept thinking, "What the hell's going on here?" Because this is not about making money at this club. This guy's got this beautiful house up in the mountain. Yeah, he washing this money. Is he cleaning money for these? Well, well, the match didn't make sense in the old days, did he? he had these big, wonderful, beautiful clubs with like. You know, maybe five hundred people, six hundred people, which have got you know five thousand people in it now. Yeah, five hundred people were having the time of their life, and uh, you know, it's, I, uh, I, I always found that strange. You know, because Coup was like the biggest club in Europe, and it could hold ten thousand people, and, and 
20,000. Yeah. And don't forget, though, but you see, the thing about Ibiza back then was only one night a week. One club had one night a week, right? So it, it was the rotor. So you'd go Mondays would be mad on Mondays with uh, Tommy Mack and Alan, right, at Pasha. Tuesday would be Amnesia where we'd, we'd play. And then one year, I remember, because uh, the year after Space obviously took off properly, then every all the pro promoters hadn't really started coming yet. It was still people just putting little parties on, but obviously hiring the clubs. And the clubs were giving them good deals and uh, – and they asked me and Alex to basically play every night of the week. So we started playing every night of the week on the big club. So Monday, Pasha, Tuesday, Amnesia, then Wednesday was Cesc Paradis, obviously. Then Thursday was um, um, a coup. And then Friday was uh, wherever else. We all on a rover, didn't we? All the clubs yeah, on the rover. Yeah. What you said on Saturday night was everyone used to stay in. Because right. they went up early for space on Sunday. And um, oh, it was just... Yeah, space was revolutionary. Like, it was the first sort of like known to masses after our starting club. It was famous for starting 6 a.m., 7 a.m. in the morning. Uh, everyone it was open air. Out. Open air. There was no, there was no roof yeah. on it. A bit of netting. And you used yeah. to sit. The planes used to come over at, at certain intervals. And, and it was like, a, a, you know, everyone used to put their arms up. It was like the, the, the signature was the planes coming over in space. People you know, paid, paid the airport, didn't they, for the planes to come over? <laughs> they thought I instigated it. <laughs> oh, there was no DC-10 yet. There no, was no DC-10. DC I'll tell you, what, did you ever meet Roberto and Ernesto? Because Roberto and Ernesto, right? Ernesto runs Music On, right? Uh, with Marco, who used to run uh, Music On. And then Roberto, his brother, used to, uh, they used to run clubs with us. So they started, we had space. And then um, across the road in Bora Bora, because Bora Bora wasn't in there yet. And I'll tell you something about that in a minute. There was Tahiti Bar, which is next to Bora Bora. So Tahiti Bar was owned by Ernesto and Roberto. And then they invited us, obviously, from space. So when space finished at four or five, everyone would just go across the road to Tahiti Bar. And um, I was going to tell you a story about that. But, um, and so Roberto and Ernesto did another after after space club on a beach, which was at um, Ketz, no, not Ketzal, what was it called? Um, it was on the way to DC-10. Do you remember the one in Salinas? The one that used to, to stop on the... The long bit of Zenith Bar. Zenith, that's right. Zenith. Wait, 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 what was that area? That was oh, cool. Look, I forgot about the Zenith Bar. Yeah, exactly. Hey, oh, but just before that, Brandon was right. There was one called Tahiti. And what they've done is they just bought that beach bar, didn't they? Because remember, we smashed it up, Brent. <laughs> Literally. <laughs> yeah, no, we did smash it. We raised it to the ground. They, uh, they, uh, they said that there was the last season, they, the rent had run out, so we just had the last day together, me, Alex, Robert Burton, Ernesto, and then Baggy, and just took the place apart, basically, and just, you know, took a bit to mementos. <laughs> <laughs> that was a lot of fun, that was, when it, Brian, smashing that up. Uh, then, then we went to the Zenith Bar, uh, which Zenith. was the one on the beach, yeah, which was a uh, real thing, wasn't it? Zenith. Yeah. And after that, all the clubs, obviously, because promoters had arrived and, and you know, the people were coming in droves to the island and then and clubs were opening five nights a week and each night was busy in their own right. So all the clubs were busy all the time. And then there was no real need for um, sort of beach parties as such. But obviously Bora Bora, Tahiti had shut down. And then this, uh, uh, you know, if you, my mate Max, Max, um, uh, Max is a Italian guy, he... Um, Basically, I was I walked over on Bora Bora Beach, um, like after space one day. I was wandering on my own. I was like, didn't know what to do. And I saw this little shack, a little wooden shack, right? And I saw this Italian guy undoing the padlock. 
And I went and said, uh, what are you doing, mate? And he said, oh, this is my... and swinging from the front of the shack was a little sign saying Bora Bora, right? And he, he pulled the front of the shack up like, a, like they're doing Sebri Get Me Out of Here. And it was a little bar, and that was Bora Bora. And I sat there all afternoon with him, having a, a right laugh. And then, obviously, you know, the, the, the years came and they built Bora Bora into the, the, the incredible thing that it was for the years. And Tahiti Bar was still there, but not doing anything. And then Jet Apartments, <coughs> it, you know, it, 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 it built like Dubai, really. I mean, it was like incredible. Last minute, it was a fast turnaround, wasn't it, Brent? Oh, the difference just <coughs> every year, there was massive changes. Well, I'll tell you what the change happened. The change happened when Mixmag went out there and they started writing all these articles about oh, all yeah, this. That well, was a big game changer because I remember everybody going, nobody really knew about Ibiza except well, the inside of us, okay? Yeah, we're being yeah. invited to play from the Italians and the Spanish. Then all of a sudden, a couple of the English promoters decided, ooh, Let's start some nights over there and pull some people. And then when Mixman got there and started flashing you guys and flashing yeah. Carl Cox, Oakenfold, and all these pictures coming, mayhem began. Yeah. That I remember. Carl, yeah. used to play, Carl used to play inside space and then he'd come out and play on the terrace with us. And now we had Sasha there. And, you know, because obviously we was, they're all our mates. We were saying, come and play at space. And they couldn't, everyone couldn't wait to play at space. I mean, Dave, Dave played, Morales played, and um, everyone. We had great connection with the Germans as well, didn't we, Brand? We had Sven Vaff, do you remember? Mark yeah, yeah. came in. And, uh, and was, sorry? West Bam. West Bam came in, yeah. They all came in, uh, Cosmic Baby. And yeah. as a result of that, because I was playing Tech House inside and Techno inside, I ended up touring a lot, a lot of Germany and Europe playing Techno sets uh, with those guys. And yeah, I, I had the time of my life. Sven's man. It's very interesting you bring this up. You mentioned the names, all the names. Now, you just went about seven different types of genres. Yeah. You didn't just say we're going to have this one type of genre. You brought talent yeah. that, you, that you believed in. That yeah, 100%. Yeah, That's incredible people that, that could do a job, do you know what I mean? Wherever you put them. I mean, that's what DJM was about then, wasn't it? You know, that's right. People weren't sure what they are going to get, and you had to supply well, that's what I want you to clarify that to these younger people that are watching, because a lot of them think it's about the classing. It's for us. About the person, you know, the person, how great they, what the jobs they did. It didn't make a difference with the music they played, it was how good they were at their craft. And I knew that was a big thing with all of you. You know, you classed it that way. Was it, oh, because he played cool music. You knew he could rock the place. That's why you brought these people, you know? Yeah. yeah. It was a lot of fun as well. You could diversify quite a bit as well, from your tech house to your Balearic beat to your disco, your funk, and all around. We had, we had so much fun, didn't we, Brand? I mean, we used to play 10, 12 hours, didn't we, straight out on the terrace, and it was just a musical journey every time that uh, we used to like, whip people up with. <laughs> and so much fun, man. Yeah. It was an incredible time, but you know, obviously, uh, yeah, it could have got the better of me eventually. So, you know, well, that's what the next question is going to start to go. How long could you stay on that high before you? Well, started? I got really ill. I got really ill in '95 in one of my escapades in abroad, and uh, I got I caught a few illnesses, which 
you know, and I, I, they actually sent me home in 96. They sent me home for my beef for all them. And I said, right, get on me on a plane and get him home. And, and I, I came home and I went to hospital that year at 96. I went into a detox <laughs> and uh, I haven't gone back since. So, you know, um, but, you know, it, it came with, it came with, it came with, you know, consequences. But, you know, I mean, I'm very thankful and grateful I'm here today. Uh, but, you know, it was, uh, it was definitely a ride, a, a journey, and we're still here 30 years later, you know? 30 years. It's a lifetime. I know. I got news for you. There's some people that are not making it to that age. Could you imagine? <laughs> think back to when, when this started, you know, like, holy smoke, here we are three decades later and still discussing it like it was as fresh as it was yesterday. You see, the thing about that, though, that, see, dance music, as in dance music, the way we call it, let's say so, is the scene, it's transcended, it's gone. Like, so, for instance, we went back to the 70s, there was a certain star which was having it like disco, and the 80s was probably new romantic, more pop music, electronic music, and the 90s, but 88 it started, and now it's become music. The way it's become everything, you know, people get dance mixes done, people have remixes done, people, artists of all genres are getting, you know, mixes done to, to because people generally go to clubs, they want to go out and uh, people want to go out and that's, that's what, uh, that's how. <laughs> 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 uh, so yeah, it's, um, yeah, it's great, man. It's uh <laughs> Did I put you off? Did I put yeah. you off my wife? My demi wife. It's good though, everybody. Everybody, hello. <laughs> so ninety six come up on my screen, give us a wave, and I didn't see who it was. So I just gave <laughs> my little wave. <laughs> so nineteen ninety-six was a game changer for you. You you decided to detox. Where do you go? I mean, Alex, you're still going strong. I know you're you're playing at time. Oh, it was a really, really hard time. You, you can't believe it, it was um it was very frustrating for me as well, as much as it was painful to see uh, what Brandon was going through. And what kind of like really emphasised it at the time, uh, like in an understanding, was um, he was in uh, the Nightingale Charter and uh, uh, the Marlebone Station when it, Brandon, do you remember? And um, I had seen Brandon and, and I was, you know, we had so much going on. So we were right at the big time. We were like, everyone wanted a piece of us. And um, I knew Brandon was in a bad way, and we'd all advise him to go and get the help and push him, push him that direction. And then when he got taken in, I remember I went to the hospital and uh, I'd cycled then. I just two minutes before had a bit of road rage with a cabbie <laughs> outside the building, literally. So I've got I've gone in there, and Brandon's sitting there waiting for me exactly all arranged. And uh, I've gone in. I'm quite boisterous and I'm full of myself. And all of a sudden, the, uh, the nurse has got to take, you might take Brandon out of the room. And I was like, what's going on? And he goes, you, you, you're too hyper. You, you, you're too full on. You can't see him in that state. He's got to be relaxed. You remember, Brandon, they took me out of the room. And I had to go away and come back. Um, and it, when, it, when I actually went away, I was really, really angry. Then it kind of like made me realise how probably fragile Brandon was at that time with, with what was going on. So it was a really hard time for me because um, it, it, I was really worried about him but also really caught up in this frustration of like you know we've got so much going on so much ahead uh, you know what do I do because it was always known as 
me and Brandon doing this, me and Brandon doing the other. And, you know, from everything, from the radio, from gigging, from rocking up to present MTV awards and all, uh, and, and whatever, you know, it was... Uh, so people want to ask this question. Was it truly rock star lifestyle and money? At that uh, beyond, beyond anything. We used to read everyone's uh, autobiography and go, rubbish. Throw on the side. But one bottle of vodka a day. When I went to uh, get my heart problem sorted, I had a little problem I take up. I, went, I spoke to my uh, the, the surgeon was going to do the thing. And he said, oh, you've had a bit of a misspent youth in IP. And he goes, uh, can you give me a little history? So... Uh, I know what I'm dealing with here. And he said, on drugs and drinks when he's in our beef. And I went, yeah, of course I will. I goes, um, probably six, seven pints of lager, better part of a bottle of vodka. A full bottle or half a bottle? I bought a bottle of vodka. Yeah, a whole bottle of vodka would be gone. Within hours, hours. Uh, you know, a few ecstasy tablets and then uh, probably some Charlie to go with that. And he'd say, what would that be, a week, uh, two weeks, a month? i say, no, that would be a Monday after space. <laughs> so, that's so you, all I did. That, that was common Richards, you make Keith Richards look like a priest. Oh, you, you better believe it. We we caned it. We, you know, we took it to another level. I promise you. And uh, a lot of people around us that time will, will vouch for us. I know that. I know There's that. I know dealers like Brandon. They they vouch for it. <laughs> we knocked everyone. It was, uh, <laughs> Uh, but you know, like the thing about it was, and I think you'll be the same, and I'm sure most of the, the DJs back then would be. You know, we we didn't see it coming. It wasn't like um, was it something we aspired to to be like that. It was just it just happened. It was like yeah. being in the right place at the right time, and uh, yeah. very fortunate that we you know we had we were able to play music to to people who were just out there for the music, and and it wasn't really. I suppose the money and the other stuff was just there. It was like, yeah. you know, part of what was going on at the time. So <clears throat> it's not like, you know, because there's no social media, there's no uh, no mobile phones. I remember, oh, how funny is this? I remember because I used to pop back to England and then when mobile phones started, we I used to bring them out in the summer and bring like one for Alex and we'd all, I'd, I'd have the newest one each, each week. And I remember once before I said, look at this blower. I brought this to the Nokia and, Oh, what was it called? Anyway, it was the metal one which slid up. It was like metal and it was fantastic. So I brought it out and went out and look. And we walked between uh, Mambo's and Kenya. I'd lost it. <laughs> I was holding it in my hand. And we were talking. And for the summer, go, gone. So that, that was just the sort of, you know, mayhem we was dealing with. There's, Hang there's- on a second. Hang on. Now you make him remember this. I'm at Pike's Hotel. Oh. <laughs> Tony Pekins, Tony Pikes. Tommy Terry comes in with his Ericsson phone, the small one, remember? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But in the back of the phone had like a three, like a block, like a cement block battery. <laughs> I said to him, why? He says, so this thing doesn't die for three days. The little <laughs> phone, what are you, like this, it was this big, the friggin' battery. I'm going to forget, I was like, we were talking about phones. That was the big thing. Hey, Baco, what phone you have? I got the Nokia. And this, uh, you all be comparing our phones. As you yeah. work in America? No, it only works over here. Yeah. Yeah. Remember that GSM? You got to get a new a new phone that works on the yeah. AMT network. Yes, I remember yeah. that. Oh my God, the GSM phones. Yes. Back then, right? So when we used to, when we sort of, sort of space, not 
fizzled out, but they started bringing big promoters. So that's when uh, we love Sundays coming. And me and Alex just sort of wore out the place by then. We'd have six years of space and every, nearly every day, really. And then um, we, 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 there's loads of other things going on on the island. So we, uh, our friend John Davis used to do the 1830s parties, and they were really big in the zoo, which is now the zoo project and everything else. So they used to park. And um, they used to put us up. We used to choose where we wanted to stay. So each week we'd come and we'd go and stay in the pipe. We'd stay in Victoria, which I don't even know if there still. But uh, before Passport was built and all the uh, grand, the big hotels. But th- those were like the best hotels in the island. And we used to be put up there every week. So we had we had some fantastic times at Pikes. And oh, do you remember our sword fight? Oh, no. <laughs> Pikes? So no, well, what was, we've seen at the, 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 the dinner table in Pikes and we'd just been... Uh, I've been we think we've been out for a few days and and uh, we we there was a couple of epées on the wall you know epées it's a sword with a a, a cover and um, we decided that we'd have a, a sword fight and we took the swords off the wall and I cut he cut his he cut my arm I cut his arm and we were actually you know, so sort of yeah probably fighting and then um, it's it's straight into the car park and then we thought we'd take it to so we took the swords with us to Mambo's and uh, we started fighting outside Mambo's and it was like a like a comedy, like, you know, Doral Arden. Swash Bucket, wouldn't it, Brian? Swash Bucket. But through it, you know, like if you was filming it, it would go like like Johnny Depp. It was like the Pirates of the Caribbean. Through Mambos, through Captain And then it would turn to lightsabers. We had the lightsaber day as well. Oh, my God. They had loads of cuts all over us, remember? All up our arms and everything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We had a lot of fun we, you know, we earned good money out of it as well at the time, which was nice. Uh, like Brandon said, it, that, that wasn't the incentive at, at, at all. We, you know, we weren't. No, it was money was not the incentive at that time. No, no, 100%. No, it was enjoyment and uh, being able to pass that enjoyment on. And, you know, in a strange way, the, the new generation of DJs that come through us probably learned a lot from our mistakes and became uh, like a, a business out of it, uh, you know, and, and looked at it from a different angle and thought, oh, there's money and the business to be made here, whereas uh, we didn't really. We, we kind of like done it for the love and uh, think things just moved into a different area each time. Uh, yeah, did you ever both think that there was a business of it or was it just we just we having, having fun? We were too busy having fun, to be honest with you, a lot of the time and didn't want it to end. And we both had this idea that we weren't going to actually live that long at the time. <laughs> we both had that impregnated into our minds. And, uh, Rockstar thought process there. Yeah, I think it probably was, actually. Uh, yeah, you know, you, you know, I've got absolutely no regrets. I'm not saying this with regret in any shape or form. I was going to ask you, I said, the next question, was there any regrets to this? No, no not, not in any shape or form. And, you know, I look back at every day that we had as brilliant and uh, I wouldn't do anything different. And a lot of doors that, you know, maybe we could have opened up for ourselves. We were lucky enough to open for other people and help other people on the on, on the way. And, uh, yeah, yeah, no, no any regrets at all, really. No, nothing. I just had such a great time with it. And uh, just, just blessed I had the chance to do it, especially with Brandon as well. You know, I had a, a bit of a soulmate in me. Yeah, mate, it was uh, <laughs> definitely a, 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 a duo. And um, I mean, I think I've got, I had one regret. I think it's probably because I, 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 I think what I realised now is at that time, although it was great fun, I probably didn't like myself very much deep down because that's why I went hell bent. I mean, I, the, I could never change what we did. And it was so 
incredible. And I, I, I have such fond memories, all, all the ones we can remember. But um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, it was just, it was just to be part of that and to be in that place and in the scene at the time and being able to just play the music you want. And, that, you know, one thing I realised recently was, um, and it's only recently I started doing this, I was talking to a friend, I did this uh, thing called goal mapping, it's like life coaching, and I, 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 I do a lot of work with people who have trouble, you know. And um, <clears throat> I was talking to this guy who, who taught me this, uh, pro, this model, and he was saying, he was next to as well, and he was saying, I've noticed myself listening to the words of the music now, Whereas back then we would we would go to crescendos and piano riffs and, and you know and big hooks and underneath all that a lot of that house music beautifully written songs and have all have a meaning it's all about love and it's only more recently recent years I've been listening to the words and thinking oh wow you know like a Sterling Void and Cissy Rogers and Marshall and you know Farley and and uh, all the the DJ National Crew and they all wrote songs which had a meaning. And, you know, back then, if you listen to the words, I mean, obviously, you know, Alice Limerick, like Where Love Lives and all that sort of stuff, it was, you, you sung, you, you'd watch people on the dance floor trying to sing the, the vocals with not knowing the words. You know, I'm And then you actually read the words, and it's a beautiful song. They're gorgeous. They're gorgeous songs. They had meaning. They did. And, you know, they wrote, and I went, on the, the show I did one morning with Marshall and Farley, they t- oh, it was incredible. And they talked about the history of house music, and it was called house music because it was made in their house. They made, used to make the music in their house. That's what they were saying. We called it house music because we played it at home. It was like something we used to make. And, um, oh, man, and, you know, Marshall Jefferson, he's got how many bands has he produced? How many? Yeah, he's got a lot of stuff. You just don't realise. And you all that stuff that's been written, Ten City and all the wonderful music we had back in then. It's, it's just incredible. Wonderful. So yeah, I've been blessed with the whole thing. Now, now, now let me give you the hard question. So you guys are superstar rock stars. Okay? <laughs> magazines have, have you plastered in the middle, the front. You, you haven't been to a Ibiza unless you experience these two guys. When does that thing come crashing and burning, like to the point where it just stops? You know, because everybody has that moment in their lives where the thing is so on the high, the euphoric high, but yet we have that moment where it drops down. When was that change that happened for you two? Oof. Uh. Oh, for me, look, I know, I know, I know when I sort of had that, uh, um, that sort of. I say crash, it was sort of that sort of uh, thing happened. And I, for me, I think uh, I'm, not, I'm not knocking technology, I'm not knocking, you know, uh, moving forward. I think you have to embrace the future and it's fantastic. But on a personal level, I think when, you know, when CDs started and, and vinyl becomes, the internet's available and then the tunes used to go and search for and you'd hear a record of You'd go and buy a record because you thought, oh, no one's going to have this. I'm going to play this tune, which is going to make everyone so happy and fantastic. And, um, and then then now it's, look, it is what it is. But, you know, that, that, that for me, when you used to pick those tunes out, you think this is my signature tune or something that I know when I play on Space Terrace is going to go through the room. I used to sing Rapper's Delight on Sundays and, and, and <laughs> I used to have a 15-minute version. That's what he calls it, Lenny. He calls it singing. I want to know. I wanted to define that singing. 
Oh, 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 oh. Just use that very loosely. That that term. <laughs> that's, that's a term that's you know used very loosely when you said singing. <laughs> you know, I, I, used to, I, I used to I used to talk rapidly. <laughs> <laughs> uh, um, there's there's one thing I'd like to say before we move on. Actually, people might be saying this, man. Also, we were also blessed with an entourage of people at the time. Uh, going back to uh, all these fun and games that we had, like Marcus, like Baggy, uh, like your Johnny Max. Uh, and we had this little entourage of uh, 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 people around us that made every day so much more fun and uh, so much more interactive. So we were, we were never sort of like superstars or rock stars, as you say, on our own. We were well, a collective with us that kept it sustainable as well. Right, Mixmag and DJ did that. You know, those magazines help, you know, glorify the island as its paradise, hidden away in the gym of the Balearic area with DJs like yourself that were already doing things way before they got there. Oh, yeah, yeah. You know? yeah. I knew that. We all knew that. But until the masses, now everybody who works at every job is saying, I'm going to get my two weeks. I'm going to that island to go full on. You guys started in April and ended in October. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Preparation starts in April. Because I remember when I did my residency, I got there end of May. Yeah. September. And I knew. Right. We were painting space in April. We were painting the place. (laughs) Painting the place. Painting white. It was lovely lovely in April. And and the season, whatever it was, the season got longer, you know, and then uh, obviously everyone planned there. The year around Ibiza, it was like I can't wait to get, can't wait to go there. So everyone would arrive in April and you know uh, start looking for jobs and work. And um, it was great. Yeah, sorry, you're right to mention all the all the, the our little firm at the time. We we, we used to oh, we used to have a football team called the Dream Team. <laughs> oh gosh, football man. <laughs> <laughs> we had Nutbag right. FC as well. Do you remember Nutbag FC? FC, yeah, that was our name. We see, we uh, we started this sort of language, language, right? And this one night, oh my god, this one night, <clears throat> you have to be in the moment. You got to realise this. So me and me, me and Alex had. Um, it was around the time when my, I remember the, uh, Bruno and Tyson were fighting. Right, the the first one, I think it was because I think it was around ninety four. So we. We'd been out and we decided we, we needed a night off. So we went back to our friend's villa. And I remember the Formula One was on, right? So we was, uh, you know, two sheets to the wind and we were sitting watching Formula One. And all of a sudden we were we were in the race. It was like, oh, you know, <laughs> going through that. And I said, oh, you can't go through there. And then we started this language called, uh, and everyone knows, to hold tight. We said, hold tight. And it became like a fairground speak. So it was about... So it's hard to explain. So two, this is where nutbag came from, right? So we said, that's too tight. You can't get through there. Thinking about we're in a Formula One car <coughs> with one person as passenger, but also transfer, excuse me, <coughs> transferring to a fairground ride where you're allowed two or three people in a car. So <laughs> we said, you can't hold tight now. You can't get through there. What are you nuts? And then, and then, and then it became, we're in a nut bag, right? <laughs> you can, you, what are you, what are you nuts? You can't get, only two nuts allowed in a bag. 
Fast riders only, one way round. And we went out the next night and we played in, um, Sim- was it Simples at the time? Anyway, they had the, box- the boxing on was like five in the morning. So we was in there all night, obviously. And then uh, we got on the mic and we started this whole tight thing. And it just carried on for the whole set. Everyone was going, hold tight now, hold tight now. It became a pirate term, didn't it? Hold tight now. And and nutbag became the word of the summer. (laughs) Nutbag. No, you nutbag. And then the the, the word the year after was top of the pops. (laughs) T-O-T-P. And everyone was saying (laughs) T-O-T-P. Oh, man. Alex, tell you about that time when he found Red Bull. He found Red Bull, right? Oh, yeah. <laughs> Red Bull was nothing. It was a, it was a, it was a, it was a, an Aust- Austrian caffeine drink. And he went to Austria to do a, a, a gig in, uh, where, you know, one of the techno parties. And he came back the next day with his two little bottles of, he said, God, this stuff's mental. And so he had my leech with vodka. And, uh, I just went, Oh my God, that's, it's called Red Bull. And then they, he said, I'm going to order a crate. <laughs> <laughs> and then they started hearing about Red Bull. And then obviously, you know, that's... I'll be responsible for that. Oh, mate, that's funny. Yeah, we tried to import it at the time, Lenny, but it was, uh, it didn't, it, it was too, uh, it was too much towering and caffeine for the English market. But we didn't really understand about watering it down and, and uh, missed out on a golden opportunity there. Is what it is. That was with Alex, wasn't it? Vienna. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, man. Well, you guys are coming off that. You're coming back to England in the winter and you're playing gigs all over Europe and stuff. And I know that you guys were working. Yeah. Because like, everybody wants well, to the action. Well, the thing was, when, when I originally sort of rooted and went to um, <coughs> to go to Ibiza, like I said, we had we had kind of had the mindset of taking something to Ibiza. I didn't want to go there and take away what, what was going there. And, um, I was already successful in the UK. I had residencies for uh, Astoria, Limelight, uh, Legends. Uh, so I gave up to go to Ibiza. And, uh, you know, because we basically smashed out of the park of Ibiza, I walked straight back into a lot of these residencies for the winter months. And like I said, um, I'd also met up with like, the mad techno German gang and that, and they took me under their wing, and I was residency in uh, Switzerland at a club called Tarot. Uh, and uh, you know, we get to play like Frankfurt, Dorian Gray, I'm done, I'm done, you know, most of Europe and Italy, and uh, yeah, so it was just full on, it was it was non stop when it ran. And Brandon, Brandon just came back to England, just killed England, took over England pretty much. And uh, yeah, well, I was doing a bit of globe trot, and I think Brandon's probably played every single square foot of dance floor in the UK <laughs> at least at least twice. <laughs> Thrice. Thrice. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Go ahead. No, I was I just <laughs> used to make this language up. I remember actually once DJ Mag, right, said because yeah, the DJ Mag followed us around from ninety-three till ninety-five, I think, or something like that. Every they had buses come over with um oh, oh it was just it was mental what was going on. And um Oh, I was gonna, what was it? My mind, my mind escapes me. It was about, um, oh, so, uh, um, yeah, we had this. So DJ Mag said, um, I'd like, can you, Alex, write, um, I suppose like now it would be a, um, what's the word? What's that? What's that? Um, the, um, the street, um, 
what's the language they call now? It's like street language. It's a new diary. There's a new um, a slang diary. It's like basically slang. Yeah, can yeah. Write me your language because we had so many different, you know. Definitely wanted you to, 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 to define each each phrase. Yeah, yeah. Like they kind of caught on, didn't they? Loads of them caught on. I mean, Hold Tight was a really big one. That became like on every part of radio station. Go, Hold Tight, yeah. And then, then, let's have it was the first one because we done it in a yeah. French accent, didn't we? Let's have it. The Urban Dictionary of the of the Times. Yeah, and the radio show helped uh, as well because we uh, we threw it out there and it caught on, didn't it? Quite a bit, of it really, grand. <laughs> the first out the, the first album we did because we, we our friend Dave Roberts who. He said to us, uh, "Can we mix this album? We mixed it in a in a in a cupboard <laughs> in a cupboard in Ibiza, and it was called it was a uh, it was called Let's Have It. Was it having it? Was it no, having it? Having it? And it's called having it. The album, right? And uh, we mixed it in a cupboard, and um, <laughs> the um, and the front of the album was us two going, "Come on, wakey, wakey, let's have it!" And then a cop <laughs> went. <laughs> fantastic, and it box of cornflakes on it. Hang on, yeah, yeah. what do you think was the most diabolical change you two did to the island that changed everything? Diabolical change? Ooh. I don't think you got anything diabolical about it. No, <laughs> in the sense of everybody wanted to try to copy it. You know, you started saying, "You shits." Copying our stuff. Like, what was that moment? Is this something you did that everybody I, was trying to become part of, you know? Because you're not know, business. If somebody sees one do it, they all want to copy it. Yeah. I, I, I mean, the, 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 I don't think, I just say, I don't think we ever thought always oh, copying us. I thought we just embraced the fact that people enjoyed the, coming along for the, the fun. But yeah. uh, I mean, I don't think anyone copied as such, but I mean, everyone said, spoke that madness. For pretty much every summer, I mean, like you know, um, oh, there was one summer the chocolate the mumba was the, the the drink of the the drink of the day, right? So oh, I mean, yeah, that, was, that was quite deadly, wasn't it? It put a oh. stone on everyone, didn't it, Brandon? Well, <laughs> I we, you know, the funny thing was, was the name of it though. Was it the name of the chocolate? It was called Batty Ram. Batty Ram, yes. <laughs> Take what you will from that. <laughs> <laughs> There's a little glass bottle with chocolate in it. It's called Batty Ram. And you'd have like a triple brandy, wouldn't you? Like that, with chocolate in it. And it became the drink of the summer. And to be fair, it gave it, made everyone spotty, everyone fat. But uh, we just peer pressured everyone into drinking it, didn't we? <laughs> Who came up with that drink? It's been a Spanish drink for years, I think. And they, did, they also have another little one in the morning, which is called Calajillo, which is uh, a coffee and branding. Yeah, Calajillo. Calajillo. What about down in Ibiza town? You would get those little um, after dinner drinks. What the hell they call them again? Um, Cotero or Coturo? The little, those oh, little shots. Yeah, that's a coffee, the small one, the Couture. It's yeah. like a, yeah, yeah and, a, and a shot of brandy. It's like a, it's like the the the, the morning <coughs> of a cup of tea. Yeah, 
along this way, were you getting big remix work? Because you know how the industry is. They look at you guys because you guys are the DJs of the moment. Like, what's yeah, going yeah. on? Oh shit! Let's get out. We were very good at that, to be honest. No, that's right. Notice how they stop. They go. Well, look, do you remember? The, you remember this, right, Lenny? Talking about remixes, we had a few remixes. We got a couple of acid stuff. Still got some acetates in there. What we did, but um, they weren't fantastic. But it, the first time I met you, right? This is um, was in the Andy, who owns the radio station. Alex Worthworth is in in his studio, the bunker next to PWL. In London, you came walking down the stairs and I went and we met, didn't we? That was yes. in, God, that was like, well, how many years ago? So that's a small world, man, but yeah. You know what, Blocko? Andy what? Swallow told me he's actually found that remix that we've done. And Which one? Found, Mandy Smith? It was a radio show. It was Mandy Smith, wasn't it? I just can't wait. <laughs> Yo, dude, that's around 94. Everyone listen to me clearly. That's around 1994. <laughs> <laughs> it's got to be around 94. Right now, time. We hung out and we really got to know each other. Not like, hey, in a club and we're playing, but really got to talk. <laughs> I think the, the, the most... Uh, prolific, well, I say, not say prolific, but the remix that was probably uh, you'd say was a good one to remix was Black Sheep. We got re- we got to ask to remix Black Sheep. I think it was. Oh, yeah, yeah, that's cool, wasn't it? North, South, East, West. It's got a hip hop track, wasn't it? West, yes, that was it, man. Yeah. yeah. Well, what was your studio sessions like? Because we know what your DJing sets are like. What was oh, that like? Just, sure. just, a, bad. <laughs> just a, a little busiest to the pub. <laughs> they weren't very long, mate. They weren't very well, long. I don't think we took it seriously enough at the time, did we, Brand? It was just like a, uh, it seemed a bit of an ordeal at the time because we both weren't really focused and uh, there was just too much going on at that point, wasn't there, really? With the radio, with the travelling. Uh, yeah. I think like, later on, I've enjoyed studio time a lot more now in the last oh, decade. Relax, focus. You're in a different headspace back then. Yeah. Not the same guy as you are now. You yeah. were out of control. You were different that time. I remember yeah. that. Very yeah. different. Yeah, you know, it was a party. It was a party atmosphere, and everything about it was partying. You know, and all of us felt that way back then. We were all happy with this music, and music was one part of it. Then, of course, the camaraderie of all of us getting together and you know doing, yeah. and especially yeah. I remember all you guys were so complimentary to us Americans. With the dance music, he was so happy that we were coming over. He couldn't help us enough, you know, with yeah. gigs and stuff. It was like that. It was a family. It was a family vibe. You weren't in competition with us. You were happy to be bringing us to the country. You wanted yeah. to expose that sound in the UK and Europe. It wasn't the other way around. It wasn't like I mean, shut them out. We, I mean, I think the UK embraced American music uh, and you know house music a lot more than. America did at the time. Oh God, hundred thousand yeah. times more. Massively <laughs> so. But it was a lifestyle, Lenny. The whole thing was a lifestyle. It wasn't a, you know, it wasn't a fad or a fantasy. People lived. You know, I, I remember going out clubbing every day of my life. So at some point, going to a different club in the UK or, or Ibiza. It was all year round. It was just like like-minded people, music coming from different countries, different uh, views, cultures. Everyone in Broadway embraced the, 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 the culture of music and house music for what it was. 
like a tribal tribal gathering, if you like. Pretty much yeah. so. That's exactly yeah. it, in a nutshell. Yeah. And it's just a joy to be part of that when you think about it. But don't forget, don't forget this was all spanking, shiny, and brand new. It was yeah. never before. No. Nothing like this existed. Yes, disco happened. But this house music thing, acid house, to house music and tech, this was never before. So what we were doing, we were writing history and not even realizing it. We were just doing it. You know, even all what you guys did. You were having the times of your lives. Yes, you were caning it. Yes, you went crazy. But you never thought you were making history. You just were doing something you enjoyed and loved. Yeah. And everybody joined along. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. And you said, I remember you were going like that. <laughs> Follow me. Or oh, and also the friendships, you know, like, you know, early earlier, I was talking to Tall Paul, you know, and uh, a lot of trucks have become really good friends of mine. And, you know, even the ones I don't see for a year or so, I still can just chill when I see them. It's, uh, you know, we're all part of that, that issue and that culture, like the Cockwell boys, Danny, Andy, friends, uh, you know. Well, we got them the first start in uh, IB for Cockwell Orange, you know, done the introductions for their first... Uh, Six and, and the start of it all. See, this is what I've been waiting to hear. Who you, you know, helped grandfather into these places because yeah. somebody needed someone to open those doors. It just didn't happen on their own. You know, no. traveling. So you brought Clockwork Orange. Who else did you bring into the island that was well, fresh? I think Money Pennies came through, uh, sort of loosely through us speaking to them. Um, they was at El Divino, weren't they? Um, I mean, the ministry were huge back then, obviously, and defected and uh, defected and. Uh, um, no, oh, well, they uh, have ministry did. No, 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 ministry, and then Def, Def, uh, David Def, had Def Mix. Sorry, we had we had team as well. We did a lot of residencies for people. Oh, yeah. so, God's so, the clubs, didn't it? God's kitchen, God's kitchen, and residence. Uh, yeah, we, we remember we were actually the first uh, residents of Gatecrasher up in um, uh, Sheffield. Oh, it went really hard. Yeah, uh, Solomon used to run that. We used to run a uh, decadence on a Wednesday night in Birmingham. Oh, my God, I remember him. Yeah, Andy yeah. old spot. Yeah, decadence in Birmingham. Yeah, and then uh, we, we we were we were playing quite tough in those days, weren't we, Brand? For a period of our time, but uh, then Hard House came in the. It was a little bit too soulless for me, Hard House, and uh, I, you know I couldn't, I, I couldn't really stay in that environment. And they tangented it off into a, a Hard House thing, you know. All sorts of and let's not forget, everyone, handbag music. <laughs> we used to just make them up, me and Brandon, didn't we? Every every month we'd make up a new handbag new house. Music house. house. New what, is, what is handbag house? I've no idea what that is. <laughs> Ladies come in with these little handbags and they would drop them down and dance around their bag. <laughs> Quality. Oh, I don't remember that in our beef, but they'd be all over the place. The bag. <laughs> no, in the UK it was. I never, I don't remember seeing that in the Vita, but that would be, you know, these little women come in with their handbags, drop the bag down and dance around the bag. <laughs> Fantastic, man. Yeah, there's also a residence of a lot of clubs back in the UK, weren't we, Brian? 
you know, all different things. Uh, I was lucky enough to own the Velvet Rooms as well. I bought the Velvet Underground from... Paul Saunders, Dizzy. And we had a lot of fun running that gaff. That was crazy time. We actually had a couple of big birthday parties. We had Cox's birthday in there, didn't we? We had, uh, was it Darren's party? Was it Darren Emerson or Sasha's birthday party? And it was Darren Emerson and Sasha, yeah. Yeah, we had, uh, you know, and, you know that, that was the uh, the start of uh, Ultimate Base, Coxie's Night. That was the start of Swerve, Fabio and Groove Riders. Uh, yeah. What was the Monday? The Monday was um, Lawrence and that, uh, Trade. That's where they started, weren't they? Trade was a Monday night at Velvet. Oh, my God. Yeah, they had, yeah. yeah. Uh, we had Friday was the Problem Kids, Rocky and Diesel. Yeah. Uh, Mark Wilkinson. Yeah, that's it. Uh, yes. Yeah, so you know, all, you know, all the, all, I've hung out with all these people. I had the joy of being part of a lot of different people's stories on the way through. I uh, see. That. Yeah, it's a bit of a collective, really. Should go around with a, a little cap and get some money off them all, should we, Brad? Yeah, I was going to say, get the hat out. Thanks, right? Collections. <laughs> yeah. So now. We're at this time in your lives, and I know both of you have accomplished and have set and survived all the mayhem. I know you're running center stage. Uh, you talk about the radio and Lock. Yeah. Oh, what the hell are you going to be doing now? Since we're getting ready to DJ again, what, what's what's on the on the on the way forward? Uh, well, I, I sort of do a lot of work. I, 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 I do stuff with mental health and and. Um, Supporting people, and at the moment, I'm working for a charity who um, we support vulnerable people um, who have problems, basically. And um, yeah, so I, I sort of get because obviously, I you know, I, I have uh, my own experience of that sort of world. So you know, I uh, I focus a bit on that. Obviously, I can't wait to get out DJing again. You know, I'm, a bit, I'm actually a bit nervous in all honesty. I think it's just a really good question. This is a really important question. For people who are ex-users, and yeah. our world, our world is based around alcohol and a lot of fun stuff. Yeah, yeah. How do you not partake, being that it's something that's easily accessible and thrown well, in? When I made that decision in '96, something clicked in my head, and it went, "I'm no need for this anymore." And then the journey after that was more about um, dealing with stuff that comes up for me. You know, my underlying emotions and, you know, and I suppose you call it trauma if you want to use that word. But I had no desire to. I'd lost all obsession about that. You know, it, it wasn't doing, you know, it made me ill. I was ill. I wasn't enjoying it anymore. It got to a place where I was really, and I'm very fortunate that I was able to do sort of stop that at that time because it was you know very near i wasn't going to be here you know so um it's doable i mean you've you, you have to come to a point in your life when you can make that decision and it's difficult for people to understand that and you know i'm again uh want people to know that um there's lots of support out there now and and you know people are aware of it lenny this is the thing you know that we know we know that's there we know that's uh part of life and uh if it gets to a stage where it gets too much, please reach out and, you know. Well, we also learning through this COVID era that there's people with a lot of depression. Yes. We realize because the alcohol and the drugs mask everything. So it makes everybody life of the party. Well, but you go, when the shuts off and the lights go out 
and you're alone in the mirror and facing life, it's not the same feeling you have like when we're all together. No, I mean, look at, look, at Avicii, look at Avicii, for instance. I mean, I know he probably wasn't in the, the, the madness that we were, but, you know, that's someone who, again, you know, it's the piece who, who when, you, when it comes down, the lights are off. And, you know, the expectations or whatever you put on yourself and the demands and, you know, you saw that documentary and it's like, you know, how much do I have to work? How much do I have to work? I mean, you know, you know it's like, that's tough. Um, so, yeah, but you're right. It does mask it all. And, you know, it's about when the lights go off. How do you, are you okay with yourself? And, you know, you need to be okay with yourself and be able that's to sit. That's finding out. That's exactly finding out that people <clears throat> are not okay with themselves. And that's why they're putting on that mask, you know? I mean, for us, I'm going to be real. The music masked everything. I hear a record, we're all happy, you know? I mean, every problem that's in your brain is now gone for that moment. But when the night ends or we walk out with the ugly lights on, (laughs) Jesus Christ, who put the lights on? You know, you're like, whatever. It hits you, you know, those problems come right back and it hits you straight in the face. It's like someone punching you. You know, yeah. it's, it's just- You know what, you know what, mate? I think you've got to, and if you, it's very hard to do, you have to learn to love yourself. And I don't mean that in a vain way. I mean, you have to say to yourself in the morning, I'm all right. I'm okay as I am. I think the world that we live in now is because, because it's so, uh, so available and the information's there and you know we, we 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 go on social media every day and we go and you know see stuff that we 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 think we have to aspire to like so you look at Instagram and you think oh and, and people live they don't live their own lives they're going to think I've, I have to be like that that's so that I, that's not the authentic me you know that's wanting to be someone else because underneath it's uh, you know I'm, I, I'm overwhelmed or I'm it's not, I'm not generalizing, it's not everyone, but you know, um, it's a big thing now, and we've got to be aware of it because you know, even coming out of what we've been in for the last year and a half, as you say, many people have got developed depression, yes. And it, it's the uncertainty, it's the not knowing what's going on, it's the concern about how we're going to live our lives, and you know, and um, and I think you're right, you know, music, this is why, so fundamentally, why this year has been so tough, and not only us who work in that game, but people who want to go out because it's the release. Yeah. And standing in a nightclub dancing is the forgetting. Forget, if you can forget for five, six, seven hours, enjoying stuff that causes good emotions, which music does, you know. Yeah. And the endorphins. Music, music is uh, life, yeah, we, we map our lives by music. And, you know, I think if someone's not a music fan, let's say, I guarantee you, you can say, are there any certain records or music? You can't avoid music. You can't not, never hear music. It's going to have uh, something you hear at a time in your life will resonate uh, on a level and give a, a, you know, bring an emotional attachment to that. And, you know, generally, you know, sad songs, good songs, happy songs. Um, music's love, isn't it? It's the language of love. And, you know, music is a language. It's how we used to communicate. Yeah. Back in, you know, the caveman days, you played drums. <laughs> Or you'd make a sound to convey emotion, I'd imagine. And then your, your music was always at the core of something, you know, at fun times, wasn't it? You'd see in the courts or in 
you know, uh, someone will be playing a, a mandolin or something and, you know, be like, hey, hey, hey. <laughs> <laughs> mandolin. <laughs> no, not, not small and orange. <laughs> How about this box? How about the thing like this? Okay. Put your change in. Put your change in. I, I don't know what Brandon's been saying, you know, um, with, with, with me working at the radio station, it, it, uh, numbers have probably doubled over the, uh, maybe even more than that, maybe you know, up to nearly three times over this last year. Uh, I think the radio's been brilliant for, for mental health. Uh, we've embraced some charities as well. We've tried to get Brandon to come on and talk a few times about it. We're involved in mental charity, his charity. Uh, we've had different days for different things. And um, a lot of people have felt like they're buying into like a, a family when they listen to the radio. We treat it like the Centre Force family. And uh, obviously the root of that all is basically music. All different kind of, kinds of genres of music are putting people together. Uh, you know, you, you, you find solace in it, you find the hope. Uh, it's an amazing, you know, it's an amazing thing to be part of and see that you're actually helping people through this traumatic period how, as well. How hard is it to run a radio station these days? How, hard is it to watch how difficult is it now, the workload of running a, a, a oh, show? It's, it's hell. I've got uh, 85 prima donnas. Driving <laughs> 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 mad every day. <laughs> 85. Yeah, it's 85 on the roster now. Uh, uh, if you think about it, two-hour shows daily, 24-7. Hang on, hang on, sorry. I, I don't know it's why. Really, not me. Yeah. <laughs> Who's Gilly, lads? Come on. <laughs> Who'd have that, that silly ringtone? Be honest. <laughs> <laughs> Back in the day. Could you imagine back in the day having that ringtone? Oh, like, you'd be shot. You'd be shot, wouldn't you? Okay. It's all about a crazy frog. Final question I'm going to ask you, because I know you're both busy. Don't cry, Alex. I'm Please. crying now. It's Brock has reduced me to It's almost tears. over. It's almost over. I've actually got hay fever for the first time in my life. Hay fever. Hey, baby. Give me some fever. One quick question, and this will give it the sum up. If you had to do it over, would you do it over? Yes, one hundred percent. Hell yeah! Hell yes. on. I'll do it a lot better this time round as well. I'll, I'll, I'll see a few pitfalls, a few pitfalls. <laughs> I think I, I think I would take care of myself a bit better. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I, thought, I thought he was going to say I'd choose my friends better. <laughs> hey, I need new people around. A new. Wait. No, 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 no. I'm not ready to Wait, 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 wait. Fire the firm. We're getting a new firm if we do this again. A new staff of people. Okay. Yeah, do it all again, man. Let's do it one more time. No, Brando, would you do it again? Well, average white right band, wouldn't it? Let's go round again, Blocky. <laughs> <laughs> would you not band? Yes, of course I would. I wouldn't, I wouldn't, I wouldn't, I wouldn't change. It's made me where I am today, mate, you know, so. That uh, one thing you would change. I I change. I just would. Uh, if I knowing, if, do, are we are we saying we do it again, knowing what we know now, or are we going back to just not knowing that we do know? You see, we can't unlearn it. Well, we can, but mm. no, I don't think I'd change anything. I think uh, 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 you know, I think uh, it's a great journey to be on and to be part of it for thirty years and still, you know, be fairly good. Although my hip like is and knees are. Giving in. <laughs> um, the bones are going. 
the, yeah, the, the, the aches and pains of growing, growing gracefully old. But you know, um, I'm not changed. I'm not changed my approach to trying to get Red Bull into the country <laughs> in a different manner. <laughs> and I changed our CD choice. <laughs> on mixing skills, I'd have changed our mixing skills. No, you know what, mate? Do you know what he, do you know what he did, right, one day after space? We met, uh, we met a hippie who was living in uh, Figueres, and he said, come and have a tattoo. And it was like 91. <laughs> so we said, oh, all right, we're going, we'll come and have a tattoo afterwards. So <laughs> we went to sit in his chair. And he said, God, he said, oh, I'll have that one. I said, oh, I'll, have, I'll have one. And um, he never had his. He <laughs> <laughs> just left me with mine. I chewed for a cigarette, but while I was having it, he said, no, don't hurt at all. And um, <laughs> one t- that one tattoo led to this. <laughs> yeah. So I I my advice is do not go and have a tattoo with Alex. <laughs> One thing to change, AB. <laughs> we had so much fun though, didn't we, man? Really, when you think about it all. You got Even more. Bit. Look, you have more to write in this book. We're not done yet. We still have another part to from now till the end. We're oh, cool. Yeah, it's not, it's not over by a long shot. We're still not writing. Yet. It's not over yet. We still have. <laughs> Doing this tonight has actually re- reignited a little spark for me as well. I think it's been very nice talking to you, mate, and good seeing Alex. But here, wait, don't leave. I want to know what the hell you sang from from Hotel Motel. From when oh, you- oh, oh, tonight, what did I sing? I sang the whole lot, mate. Fifteen minutes. <laughs> he could do it now. I'll go and lie down and wake me up in a minute. <laughs> Everybody's going to ask me. I could do it now, but I choose not to. <laughs> because, <laughs> because what happens is you get out of breath about four bars in <laughs> start puffing you go <sighs> it, was his, it was his party trick at every birthday he sung the whole lot didn't you Brent you done it at mine yours Truman's and then uh, <laughs> and, uh, the, uh, at the break where the breakdown comes and it goes into the second verse give us the second verse come on give us the second verse oh the yeah, second yeah. verse uh uh Rock it out, baby bubble to the boogie band, man, to the beat. Uh, Said I can't wait to the end of the week when we're rapping to the rhythm of a groovy beat in the tent to raise your body. Blah, blah, blah. That's the second verse, isn't it? On that note, we're going to give these guys, fellas, a thank you. I love you both. And God bless you both. You know, you are. Thanks for having us. Absolute pleasure, Mike. It's lovely to see you looking well as well, man. Absolutely good. Well. Superstar icons, rock stars always. Oh, love you, Mike. Thank you. Blocky, Somebody's yeah. tuning in tonight because they're on next week. Nikki Holloway. Nikki. Maybe that's the best take from 1946, isn't it? <laughs> great photo of Nikki. It's a great <laughs> Nikki. We love you too, man. Tune in next week, of course, to hear Nikki Holloway clarify where they leave off. Because she's, <laughs> she's the first to bring a lot of people over as a promoter, club oh, yeah. DJ. Ask him about singing This Is The Way To Amarillo in uh, the Aqua Park space. <laughs> but we got to catch Nikki Holloway. I want to thank everyone for tuning in this week's True House Stories. Of course, it was of true legends of the game. Lovely. Alex. 
and Blanco rocking the box. Like I always said, they would rock it. Jesus Christ, they rocked the box. <laughs> yes, maybe we sparked Brandon to get his turntables back out, those golden turntables. Like the Torah. It'll come out like Moses. Hold up his hand. I can't wait to play with you guys again. I can't yeah, wait. My God, it's too long, man. Oh, God, too long, I, can't, bro. I can't wait to do this again. And everybody around the world has had a good evening with you. You've given us moments of grandeur, excitement, and we're looking forward to writing it one more time. So on that note, I want to leave everyone right here. Catch us next week, Wednesday, 7 p.m. UK time, 2 o'clock New York City time, and whatever hell time it is everywhere else, find your time, Google it. And I am Lenny Fontana. Thank you, Alex. Thank you, Brando. We're going to end it here. Good night, everybody.